Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It's now time for Cannabis Talk 101 with Blue, Joe Grande, and Mark and Craig Wasserman, the Pot Brothers at Law. We're the world's number one podcast for everything cannabis. Hello and welcome to Cannabis Talk 101, the world's number one source for everything cannabis. My name is Blue. Alongside me is Craig Wasserman of the world-famous Pot Brothers at Law, and you are now tuned in to the greatest cannabis show in the planet. On in the universe, blue. Come on, <laughs> we want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast, Cannabis Talk 101. Call us up anytime you feel 1 800 420 1980. Make sure you check out our Instagrams for daily news and so much more at Cannabis Talk 101 at pot underscore brothers underscore at underscore law. You can check out Mr. Wass Dog Craig Wasserman. Waslaw Dog. I'm sorry, Waslaw Dog. I <laughs> fucked that one up for sure. But we have a fantastic show for you guys today. We have Jessica Kent. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, Jessica, tell us a little bit about your story. You might have to be more specific because I can ramble forever. <laughs> um, Please do. But <laughs> I'm a YouTuber, TikToker who shares you know, a lot of grungy stuff about going to prison and having a baby in prison and getting sober from heroin, meth, and pills. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, with my story, I just hope to change laws and inspire people to think differently about the criminal justice system, which is a never-ending battle on the internet. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm grateful for my platform and I'm grateful for you guys. And I'm a little sad that Mark's not here because I recently came out of the weed closet and he was kind of a, a big component to that. I met him in LA and I told him like, well, I'm kind of thinking about kind of on the fence about telling my audience that my recovery has changed and that I'm now using cannabis and recovery. And he jumped up and was all excited. He was like, what? You're going to, you're going to come out of the weed closet. Um, so well, I'm just as, I'm just as excited. I, uh, as, as he would be, cause we both, we both pushed that agenda, both of us. And, uh, I mean, and when I came out of the weed closet, it was like, am I really going to go on social media? I mean, I, I, you know, the old man who's a lawyer and for 30 years, I'm going to come out and just smoke all and don't care who sees it. You're not old, um, dude. <laughs> you're, you're only as old as you feel. You're right. I'm not. I don't feel <laughs> old at all. And Joe's not here to bust my balls about being old anyway. <laughs> That's why it's chimed in like, bing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. More people need to come out of the we, of the green closet. And I think that's awesome. I love hearing stories where we've helped push that envelope. Um, whether my brother's face is out there more than I am, it's really the same face of pushing people to come out of the green closet and uh, and let people know, especially especially for recovery. What? I mean, the more people who can talk about that, I mean, it's not for everybody. We know, we know people, I mean, Joe's one of them. He's admittedly had issues in the past with, with drugs. And I don't, I think he doesn't, you know, he doesn't trust that he can just do one joint. And mm -hmm. I think that's what's great about cannabis is then you won't do it. You won't use it. You'll use something else. But the majority of people that we've talked to, like yourself, tell us how you transitioned in your recovery well, to well, using well, 
to Be, using cannabis. Before that, though, Craig, I'd like to just go into Jessica, if you would. Tell us about like how it happened. How would you end up on drugs? And then let's go into the recovery, because I think that's really important because a lot of people, you know, they, they, they often end up in this, you know, maze or whatever, and they don't know how they got there. And I'm sure now that you're sober, you can probably, you know, articulate some of that, please. Sure. Yeah. So my addiction started at 12 with alcohol and I'm 31 now. So we talk a lot more about how alcohol is very addictive. I didn't know that at 12, you know, we always heard stay away from drugs. No one talked about a beer, you know, no one talked about um, any of that surrounding alcoholism. So I was a very socially awkward, very bullied kid and I hated school. I was constantly getting in trouble and constantly getting into fights. I took one sip of alcohol and I was like, oh shit, like this is, this makes me not awkward. And now my introverted shy self is funny and quirky. And I learned very quickly that alcohol was going to help me not be awkward and help me make friends and help me, you know, kind of be comfortable in my own skin. Well, alcohol very quickly transitioned into pills because I was beat up and I was jumped and I was prescribed Oxycontin. My ribs were broken. My face was all fucked up, you know, and a friend came over, crushed up a pill. And that was all she wrote, you know, wow. so from a really early. And what did you do with that crushed up pill? I'm, I'm, I'm not an oxy guy, so I don't know. I snorted it. Oh, so yeah. and when you went into that, you know, was that like the start of something or did it come? Start like, of the end. Yeah. Was it slowed down or did yeah. it just go full speed into it? Like, tell us about the 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 addiction of the oxycodone. Sure. Um, it was really hard to get and it was expensive. So I kind of figured out um, how to sell drugs. And I started with really dirt, gross weed. You know, they don't even have that anymore. You know, it was brown and shit. So yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, started, I started selling weed. And then if I could get Coke, I would sell that. I would sell weapons. I would get alcohol from, you know, my older friends or my older cousins and sell that to people my age. And I just started to dive into how can I make money to support my addiction. But at 13, 14, 15, I wasn't using every day. So I believed that I was in complete control. Sure. I don't need this all the time. It's just a tool that I use sometimes. Like, I don't need to get high. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not this idea of a drug addict at that time was like a homeless person living on the street. And like, I didn't think a drug addict can just be like, you know, a normal person. <laughs> so my idea of an addict was not the, the person that I was. I'm okay. I'm smart. I, I know how this works. I don't need it every day. I'm not living on the street until I was <laughs> years later. Right? right. Um, but I started selling drugs and I was really good at that and I never want to brag about it, but that's what I thought I was. I didn't think I could do anything else. I didn't think that I was not smart enough to do anything else, but I had this drive to not work for the man. I am an entrepreneur and I believed that the only way I can make money was to sell drugs. So over time I started selling more and more and more pills transitioned to heroin. And I, ironically, the more money I made, the worse I felt about myself, you know, the more connects I got, the more I wanted to quit and I couldn't. And I detoxed many times, was arrested many times heroin transitioned to meth. I started selling for the cartel in Arkansas and eventually went to prison in Arkansas. So it was a long stretch of now, countless arrests and in prison and, and drama and chaos. Jessica, was there any time where you felt like, like before you went to jail, like, Hey, look, I, I want to get help. And so you mm -hmm. tried to reach out to certain individuals, family members, or programs to try and get yourself help. Yeah, that's a great question. I was really resistant to help. Uh, just to back up a little bit, I was on some form of supervision from the age of 13 to 28. That's how long I was wow. in the system. Wow. Yeah, and, and they, you know, they made me go to meetings. They made me do drug and alcohol counseling and therapy. But because it was forced on me, I was like, fuck this. Like, I don't need to be in this meeting. And I was trying to stop using uh, heroin and pills and alcohol and I would smoke weed and that was condemned at that time. And although I didn't fully understand the medical benefits then, I was like, I'm just smoking weed. Like, can you just get off my back? Like I'm trying to not shoot heroin right now. Yeah. And 
the meetings were vicious and I never found a home group and people kept telling me, go to a different meeting. Just it's, it's that, or you find someone else. And I went to meetings in New York and Iowa and Arkansas. I never found a home group. I don't attribute my sobriety through a 12 step program, which was really disheartening because I wanted to find, you know, a home group. I wanted to find that circle. I wanted people to understand me, but I never felt that in those meetings. And while I think AA and NA is great for so many people, that just wasn't my journey. Um, so my final, uh, detox came in an Arkansas jail cell pregnant coming off of meth, you know, and I was told I was pregnant in jail and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm facing a lot of felonies right here, man. Like I know how to go to prison. I don't know how to go to prison pregnant and you're not giving me anything to come off of meth and pills. Like I was speedballing those things. Sure. Arms were covered in tracks and the cops cared more about, you know, taking pictures of my track marks than they did talking uh, about recovery would, or treatment. Yeah. You know, and, and going through that, let me ask you, did you have um, like a group of, of, of parents around? I mean, where were your parents at this time? Where were the, I mean, obviously if they're there or not, either way, if they were there, it's, it's, it's hard to stop somebody that is just on their own path. So where was your family at that moment? Right. So addiction is not a parenting fail. I just want to say that I agree. Um, my parents tried, you know, my mom tried until I was 13. And then I moved in with my dad and my stepmom, my dad and my stepmom couldn't be more square. <laughs> you know, they, my mom, my stepmom's a teacher. My dad, you know, works at a radio station in my hometown. They're so straight edge. So even, you know, weed to them was like, that's the devil's lettuce for sure. Um, so they tried, you know, they tried to take me to therapy. They tried everything that they could. And you could only tell me so much. You know, I thought oh. I was big time. I'm making thousands of dollars. The mindset changes. Curiosity, right? though, out of curiosity, back then, I guess before, I guess you would say you hit rock bottom. If you were allowed to smoke cannabis, do you think that would have altered some of the path that you ended up going on? Such a good question. And I've thought about that so much. And I, I genuinely believe if they realized harm reduction for me meant cannabis, it would have changed everything. So I have depression and I now have PTSD from my prison bed. And at the time when I just had depression, that's a monster in itself. You know, I had suicidal thoughts and I was really struggling. You know, I almost took my own life many times battling my addiction. Mm. And I think that if they realized abstinence is not working for her. She is fucking miserable. She wants to take her own life. Abstinence is not the way. Stop cramming that down her throat and listen, you know, maybe my life would have been a little bit different. Um, but you know, in my, in my recovery, I was abstinent for a long time before I transitioned to medical marijuana, but the people around me at that time in my addiction, they loved me. And often when we love somebody in addiction, we try really hard to force the narrative on them. We try to force them into this, you know, pathway that we think is right, but that's more damaging a lot of times, you know, so I felt very controlled. Um, I was, you know, on parole and I had, you know, a job, my parents, I was in a toxic, you know, manipulative relationship with a narcissist at 18. And my whole life was just about controlling Jessica. She's out of control. We need to control her. And you know, was that, um, was he on drugs as well? Your, your ex? No. Oh, no. so he was, he was, he was just in his mind. I have to help you. And so he was like the, the guy that thought he was, well, the, he sounded like an asshole too. Yeah. You're, the, you're the word narcissist. Well, it's, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's not a good relationship, <laughs> but, but, but as far as people around you, I went through that previously with somebody and you can't, they have to want to do it. And, and, and it's crazy to me that, you're wanting to smoke cannabis to get off a needle mm -hmm. and that somebody still is going to try to shove that down your throat, that that's not good enough, or that's still the evil, you know, you're going to go to hell because you're going to smoke weed too. I mean, to me, it's crazy. Specifically that, uh, probation officers and parole officers and, and drug and alcohol counselors. I mean, these are people in our community that are overseeing teenagers and at-risk youth. And, you know, eventually in my adult life, they all told me there is no way in hell you can smoke weed, you know, alcohol. I get, I, I won't drink alcohol, but weed. So it was kind of at an early age, just so demonized. And it took me a long time to even rethink my own thoughts on cannabis after my whole life being told that this is wrong. You can't do this. You need to stop doing drugs. And I'm like, bruh, we're talking about heroin. <laughs> like right. he's going to help me. Right. Like really? Not... Yeah. Like, like, are you serious? You're going to give me hassle about smoking a joint when if I, I, mean, I just, that just, that, that's, that's crazy to me 
that that a medical professional and this happened to my brother my brother went in on alcohol he's admittedly an alcoholic and he can't drink and and he went in for issues and he and they asked him about cannabis and he said he used cannabis and, and i think the, the lady said well we can't help you if you're on cannabis and he's what you know, and it's funny because uh, you like, know what we can't help you because you're smoking something that's helping you not do the worst if you want to you know categorize it as a drug i guess you know mm-hmm. a million times worse you know that people die every year millions of people from alcoholism besides all the other stuff it's just crazy well, well i, I it's think outrageous a lot of a lot of my friends you know went through these these episodes and you know, through that time, I, I could look back and, and it's hard when you're when you're in it, you know, and you're talking to somebody and they're and they're around you and you're like, dude, you're on drugs. You got to stop. And mainly it was meth for them. And they were going through these battles and stuff. And I'm like, you know, it, you know, they're going through this process and they're like, dude, I just want to smoke. And I can't smoke because of this. And they're going to violate me because of that. And you're going, they're tripping on smoke. And I'm like, dude, just smoke. Like, you know, and, and for me, it was easy to say that. Right. But they're like, dude, if I smoke, they're going to violate me. And they're, they're afraid to go back in. And the bigger problem wasn't the, the cannabis, obviously it was, it was the meth. It was the heroin. It was the pills. It was all these other drugs. But I think when, when someone's, you know, trying to give you that advice, all they could think about is it's easy. Just, you know, get sober. Right. And, and, but they're not hooked on that vice. They don't understand, you know, the word advice and vice, you know, they, they're so close to each other. And, and the, the vice of having these, these, these drugs, you know, in your system and then wanting them and then having the mindset, cause your mind, I think it chemically changes, right. The balance of what your thought process is. And you start to tend to hang out with people that are that are involved in those drugs, and then you start to dive into what their wants and needs are, and then you create your wants and needs, and you guys are in this path. Well, some of my best friends had these issues, and a lot of the times, I mean, as we look at it now, it's like if they just had the opportunity to just say, hey, maybe some very potent cannabis that just knocked them on their ass and said, hey, dude, this will help you versus going to get the heroin or going to get that meth, there could be some kind of a, a, a balance. And I think that's what we're here looking for. It's Cannabis Talk 101. We'll be right back after this with Jessica Kent and more information. Make sure you check out the G4 Live presented by the Bud Tender Awards with Cannabis Talk 101, iHeartMedia, and Travis Barker. Go to G4Live.com to register while exhibitor space is still available. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Cannabis Talk 101. We want to make sure we recognize that G4 Live is coming to town in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is going down, guys. And if you don't know, now you know. And you want to make sure you check them out. It is going to be a massive event. Terpene Warehouse is definitely going to be in the mix. Bud Tender Awards is it's brought to you by and Cali FX uh, Connector as well and Dope Minerals. And guys, listen, we are here live with Jessica Kent. And Before Jessica- we move on, Blue... What are the dates? The dates to the actual show is... I believe it's May 21st to 23rd. That is correct, at the Mandalay Bay. And uh, that, that event's going to be amazing. It's so nice to actually... Um, get back to it. Get back to it. I'm, I mean, you know, it's been so long since we've had uh, any like, like live events for cannabis and, and conventions and stuff like that. And God knows we need it as far as business, you know, for all the different B2B companies and the vendors trying to figure out who's doing what. And uh, it's going to be amazing. It is May 21st through the 23rd, and registration is still available. You can get your booth and or you can uh, get your passes to get to the event. And I would highly suggest that you check them out. It's going to be amazing. So, Jessica, with that being said, we were just talking to you, and we were going through your story. And, you know, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing it with with our listeners and the people because it is so dear to my heart that somebody can – talk about their own, you know, problems that they've had and then reverse that role and be able to share it. Because when you, when you're able to share it, it's actually educating people that need that education. And I mean, there's, we, we could just imagine how many people have that same problem. Well, I, yeah. I mean, blue, you're exactly right. Cause so many people, there's so many, you know, illnesses in life that people are afraid to talk about. People don't want to bring it up. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to disclose it. They're embarrassed. And the more people who come out and talk about it, say, it's okay. Like my brother, it's okay to say, I'm an alcoholic and I cannot drink. He drinks one drop, I can drink and cut myself off anytime. Mm -hmm. He drinks and he's got to drink until he's, you know, almost dead. And and, and he admits that. And I think more people who come to the table and talk about the problems can make it easier for other people to reach out and, and get help. Now, take us, you know, briefly, if you can, through... What got you in jail when you were pregnant? Yeah, so um, I was selling meth, large quantities of meth, and I knew that I was being watched, but I didn't care. I was on the run from some felony charges in New York that I knew I was innocent of, but I knew that it, it would take a long time to you know, go through the process of proving my innocence. So I was just on the run, selling meth, using meth, and that was my rock bottom. You know, heroin was really bad. Meth was even worse. I was down to like 85 pounds, covered in tracks, just really struggling mm. and trying to hide that from the people that I'm getting it from because they don't sell to junkies. And here I am like barely hanging on. So I get arrested for possession with intent to distribute, delivery of meth and simultaneous possession of drugs and a firearm, which was so careless of me. Um, I'm not new to carrying guns, but I knew better than to have guns and drugs in the fucking car. But I was paranoid and I thought I was going to get robbed and I weighed 80 pounds. What, what am I really going to do if someone tries to rob me? So, you know, I, I get booked in and it was like 4.30 in the morning because that's the best time to go get cereal or whatever the fuck I was doing at a gas station at 4 a.m. Right. And I found out like two or three weeks later that I was also pregnant. And that shock was so heavy because it's not about me anymore. You know, this is about a baby. Like your addiction has gotten you so like, I mean, I was a shell of a person. My addiction was so unbelievably dark. You know, I almost shot myself a couple of weeks prior to my arrest and I just couldn't do it anymore. I didn't see life in recovery. I didn't know how to be abstinent and I didn't know how I could even live, if that makes sense. So I was in complete denial that I was pregnant complete like they don't even tell me I'm pregnant don't say the word pregnant for weeks you know because I need to come off of meth and pills I need to detox I can't deal with this too it was really heavy and I, w- I was in denial for a long time but that's that's why I was jail 
you know, that sounds like you were, I mean, you know, it was either kill yourself or go to jail. I mean, you were, you were like, uh, I know better than to do what I'm doing right now, but I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. And you know, I, I just was so depressed and out of my mind and I really thought meth had taken my soul and I was staying up for days and days. And the only way I could go to sleep is if I took Roxy's and like, it was just so sick. I wasn't eating. I was so sick not to like be TMI, but I would have to set timers on my phone to remember to drink water and then go to the bathroom. Wow. Like that's how sick I was. Wow. Wow. So how long did you spend in jail? Um, so I was sentenced to five years, 15 suspended with 40 years exposure, a lot wow. of shit. And I, um, serve a little over 50% of my time because Arkansas makes you fight for time served. So that's fun. So you did, you did about two and a half years. A little over. Yep. A little. And then, you know, so you kicked inside the, the jailhouse, huh? Kicked in jail. And that was not the first time I've been to jail, but that was the first time I was pregnant. So I just naturally assumed that they would give me prenatal vitamins, that they would give me medication for this detox. They gave me nothing and left me to suffer. And I didn't get a prenatal vitamin until I was three months pregnant. And it took me that long to fight and cause a scene to get them. You know, so my, my passion for prison reform comes from very extreme trauma that I went through. You know, in that county jail, the women were denied period products, you know, and as a New Yorker, that shit would never happen in a New York prison. So I'm like, what do you mean? You're not going to give them tampons. Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. You know, so the seed was planted that I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to have a baby in prison. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I know I'm going to fight for prison reform somehow. Sure. <laughs> somehow. Now, did you, wow. now you, you, you had your, your child in prison and, mm-hmm. and your child's name is Micah, Micah. And that's your daughter or son? Daughter. And how old is she now? She's almost nine now. She's oh my eight God. and change. She's big. <laughs> and, and and excuse me for asking, but the father is the 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 guy that you're dating at the time or is it right. di- different so, story? So um he yeah, he has no, you know, no claim to her, no rights, no custodial rights, nothing. And he's currently waiting to go back to prison for like the seventh time. So he's not in the picture. What was um, his, what she, was his thing? He wasn't a drug addict though, right? He was just, a, or he was. He's also a drug addict. Just someone that I met that made me laugh. If you make a girl laugh, you can make her do anything. Yeah. Um, and we were arrested together. And, you know, I, I remember telling him that I was pregnant in jail and he said, is it mine? And I knew right then and there I'm alone. Like I'm doing this alone. So I told him, right. no, it's mine. I got this and right. she's been mine from the start. And, you know, nice. we, we got through the hardest time of our lives together. I want to cry right now. You got me emotional. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to talk about, you know, but giving birth in prison was something that really damaged me for a long time. Um, what what, what I, happens with someone who doesn't know what happens with your child when you're, when you still have a year left, what, what happens? Sure. Um, so two things can happen. Either your family can come pick up the baby and they can go through that process with the prison. Some paperwork is done and then they can bring the baby to visitation once a week and you see your daughter or son, you know, every week. Did, did or, that, is that what happened for you or? Well, she's given us two examples. Right. Or, or what can happen is your kid goes to foster care and you never see them until you get out. And that's what, what's happening to me. I knew that that was the case. My family is 1,300 miles away. They're also not very well off, so they couldn't come down there and fight DHS and go through all the the red tape. So I knew my daughter was going to go into the foster care system. Um, That trauma of being physically removed from the hospital bed while my daughter went into foster care caused so many problems for me. Um, I had PTSD to the point where I couldn't speak. They kept me in the infirmary for two weeks. I didn't even know what the hell was wrong with me. Um, I just knew that the only thing I ever loved was just ripped out of my arms. And I have to go back to GP, general population, and just act like I'm okay. Well, I can't do that today, you know? And um, I didn't get to meet my daughter until a court hearing six months later. Wow. And, and, and so is your daughter with you now? I have full custody of her now. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Okay, so, so how long was she away from you? Uh, she, so I got out when she was a little over one. I got her back when she was a little over two. So she doesn't remember, but we are very close with the foster family that's auntie. And, um, we wanted to do that. We wanted to keep, you know, them in our lives as much as we possibly could. 
but it took me a year of fighting hair follicle drug testing, therapy, child abuse testing. I had to get an apartment as a felon, a car. I was working two jobs, doing meetings. I mean, I was just stretched really thin. And over the course of that year that I fought for her, caseworkers were telling me, you're not doing enough. We're going to petition to suspend your rights or terminate your rights. I said, I will fight until I die to be her mother. You don't understand. I am, I am not the one, you know, and I, I was that fierce in everything I did. They placed her four hours away from me. So I had to drive, which at first I had to hustle a ride to even get there, <laughs> drive four hours, see her for two hours, drive home four hours while all that other stuff is going on, you know, but she's worth it. And that's my baby and that's my blood. And when the judge told me, you know, you now have sole legal custody of Micah, it was the happiest day of my life because I doubted myself every step of the way. I might be fierce, I might be strong, but I'm going up against foster care. Many men and women lose their kids every day in this country, you know, and I knew that. I knew the statistics and I was terrified every day that I would never see her again. Now, now, auntie and uncle, right now, they're still in, in Micah's life, right? Which is, yes. it's is awesome. Um, when, when this process was happening, did you start building a relationship with them? And then were they under the understanding that they may not be able to, to, to keep her obviously, or did they think that, Hey, we're now her foster parents and that's it. Did they kind of know that going into it? Or is this something like a program that, you know, you, you fought to, to make happen? Explain that. That's a good question. So ironically, uncle is a police officer. And I knew that when I met him for the first time, even though he wasn't in uniform, felons know we just know yeah so you know he was really um protective over micah and i could tell that they loved her very much but they were told that the mother me would not be getting out of prison and i don't know why they told them that because it's like i'm not a lifer i'm a short timer like this is a drug case i'm coming home um so when i met them at six months i looked them in the face and i said i will fight every day and and i'm doing what i need to do in here getting my gd doing classes i'm going to get my back so they knew that that was what i was going to try to do and then once i got out they saw how fierce i was and they promised me that if it goes the other way they will attempt to adopt and i can move to the same town that they're in and and have a life with them and with did they fight it when you tried to get full custody no, they wanted the best outcome for Micah. Oh, and, you know, love that. That's that awesome. was hard as hell for them. I mean, they love this. Then you got to fight the establishment. Right. They just said, whatever the judge decides, whatever is best for her is what we want. And once they saw us after a while together, they knew, you know, they knew that I was what's best for her. Even before I saw it myself, you know, they, they're an amazing foster family. They have three biological and three adopted. And she is a damn superhero. You know, she's an amazing mother. So I thought, you know, I'm a New Yorker. My fridge looked like old Chinese food and like takeout. I don't know how to cook food. And she's whipping up, you know, five course meals over here. And I can't do that. But love is what matters. You know, it doesn't matter if you're feeding them chicken nuggets or kale. Love is what makes a household. And it's taken me a long time to even be confident in my own skin, let alone motherhood. Now, once you got out, because I and I have to ask, because I know this is is, you know, very difficult. Did, did you move out of the town that you grew up in? I mean, that you were having the drug issues or are you in the same town? Mm, good question. Um, so I was selling and using in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I paroled out to Rogers, Arkansas. So that was about 45 minutes away. But all my connects, for the most part, were in prison. Um, the obstacles to get your life together as a felon are very difficult, especially in the South. You know, Arkansas, um, you know, they they really gave me a run for my money when it came to employment and housing. But like I said, I, I fought the system. Um, I paroled out to a halfway house with power shoes and a really torn up and, you know, very old used Bible. <laughs> That's my only possessions in the world. Um, and at first it was really hard to get a job, but because I didn't snitch, I could get a pound of meth on front. I think people don't realize that, you know, like no one wants to rent to me. No one wants to hire me, but I got people saying, just use my name, go to this house. I got you, it, you know, get a front and get, get a car, get an apartment, get your daughter. And that's how they'll get you back in. Especially if you've worked with some of the people that I've worked with, they don't think of it as they're putting me back around my addiction. They see it as we're helping you get money, which you need. You know, if you want all this stuff, you're going to have to sell dope. Like yeah, we all do we that. Know how to do. Yeah. And, and so did you, you know, obviously you were tempted, you know, to, to go back to that lifestyle, that lifestyle, you know, and I'm sure it's something that still haunts you in, in a way because, you know, and, and do you currently drink now? I don't drink. No. Nope. Very good. Um, That's probably smart. <laughs> 
I was tempted to to get back into that old world my first year out of prison. And I say this all the time. If you can make it your first year out of prison, you're good. You know, that first year, you're going to be met with so many obstacles and challenges and you have to continuously say no. You lose the cell phone, get off social media, just go to work, go to the gym, go home, focus on you, you know, and that's hard as hell. But that first year is going to make or break you. How long was it till you started into cannabis? Did um, that help you not relapse or is it just something that if you know what I mean yeah yeah so I was on parole until about three years ago so I couldn't smoke um so I was abstinent for the first eight years or so in my recovery that's a long time yeah um and then my PTSD and my insomnia my insomnia was the worst aspect of that it got really bad and I have, you know, self-care techniques and I know what to do when I'm having anxiety and when I'm having depression, but over time I couldn't white knuckle it anymore. You know, I was miserable. I wasn't sleeping for days at a time. Suicidal thoughts kept happening again. And I thought you can't do pills. (laughs) You know, there's no way you can take sleeping medication because you're going to get addicted. You can't take antidepressants because that's triggering, you know, even if it's not, you know, even if it's not an opiate, it's triggering taking those pills and having them around, having prescription bottles around is really triggering for me. And, you know, I have a bachelor's degree in correctional programs, support services with an under in psychology. So I do know the medical benefits of cannabis and my family very separated. Dad is conservative. My mom's side, they do festivals, they're hippies. They believe in that plant, you know? So I grew up believing in it too. And, um, But because of probation, parole all my life, there's no way I could do it. So finally, I decided you need to smoke. Like, it's your only option. And I remember, oh, it's going to make me cry. Um, The first time I smoked, I was a little worried about myself. But being able to go to sleep, like, I don't know if anyone understands, but being able to sleep after battling insomnia is, like, life-changing, you know? And I realized then, like... This is not triggering for me. This is a tool that I have when I need it. And that peace of mind was everything to me. So I don't smoke every night, but it is a tool that I have to use to go to sleep. And that, I can't even put it into words. I probably sound like a weirdo crying about it. but Not at all. Not at all. You know, I, I, I actually, like, I, I understand, you know, your thought process because it's something that, that a lot of us talk about and we, we try to, you know, understand and you don't understand it unless you lived it, right? You, you can't understand the, the, the mind of an addict or what you've been through unless you've actually lived it. And then you, you can understand from, from the outside, you know, but from the inside and then having the ability to find something that gives you a comfort, that gives you some kind of a, a you know, a better night's rest or, well, or you I, know. Go yeah, ahead. absolutely. I, I think the, the number one point you make and it's, I think it's amazing. And, and more people, more addicts, more people with issues need to take heed to what you said of it's not a trigger. Every other quote unquote drug was a trigger for you. Any kind of prescription, any bottle in the house, you're going to, that's going to give you PTSD looking at the bottle, knowing what it did to you, those prescription drugs and where it led. And knowing that cannabis while anybody wants to call it a drug is nowhere near any way shape or form uh any type of of substance that's going to trigger you to you know what we call the reverse gateway drug Mm -hmm. you know everybody wants to call it the gateway drug which would mean it'd be a trigger to oh i got high so let me go do coke let me go do meth i don't think it worked that way it's usually the opposite i've been saying that for years so to hear you say it like that, you know, and tear up over it, that this amazing plant helped you so dramatically and didn't cause any of the triggers that you would have. If you, I'm going to take one little drink or I'm going to just take one sleeping pill is amazing. I wanted sleeping pills. I mean, I was fucking exhausted and, you know, not to discredit someone else's struggle with addiction, because I don't think cannabis and recovery is for everyone. I think that it can be triggering and very damaging to others in recovery. Um, but I had kind of relearn everything that I know, 
you know, because for so long people told me you can't smoke weed and be sober. You can't do this in recovery. This is not the way. But it's like, well, I have an other in psychology and I know the medical benefits of it. You know, I love CBD. So how can we demonize THC, love CBD? We're talking about the same plant. We're just talking about separate cannabinoids, right? You can't say one is great and the other is the devil. Come on now. That's <laughs> one right. One is psychoactive and one's not. So, um, and even the psychoactive part, well, that's a that's a great terminal. It's still not, it's still not your not meth and heroin or your acid or whatnot. And with that, we're gonna go to break. And when we come back, we're gonna do the high five with Jessica. Yes. Make sure you check out G4 Live at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, May 21st through the 23rd. Presented by the Bud Tender Awards, Cannabis Talk 101, iHeartRadio, the Pot Brothers at Law, Cali FX, Connector and Terpene Warehouse will all be broadcasting live. Go to g4live.com now to register. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Take a hit, get lit, and sit back and enjoy Cannabis Talk 101. And we want to give a special thanks to G4 Live, brought to you by Bud Tenders Award. Make sure you check them out May 21st through the 23rd at the Mandalay Bay. Cannabis Talk 101 and the Pot Brothers at Law will be there. Also, following us along that massive, actually, convention that we have. We have Connector, Cali FX, and Dope Minerals, and Terpene Warehouse. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. If you haven't registered, make sure you check it out and register ASAP. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show, which is the, the Cannabis Talk 101 High Five with Jessica Kent. Craig? How old were you the first time you smoked, and where did you get it from? Oh my gosh. So I believe I was about 13 and my brother, my older brother was like hot boxing a car. And I was always the one that was like, I want to come hang out. And he was like, get away from me. But he was about to get caught. So I was like, just get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> just shut up and just get in the car. So mom doesn't find out. And that was the first time that I got high. <laughs> Question number two of the high five with Jessica Kent. What is your favorite way to use cannabis? Oh, I like joints. I'm old school. Um, you know, I'll smoke blunts too, but joints. Smoke sure. a joint. Nice, nice. <laughs> I, I love the I love the the joints as well. Question number three: craziest place you've ever used or smoked cannabis? 
Oh my gosh. They don't prep you for these, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I think in high school, in the bathroom, probably. In the, that, high that, school, that's a crazy that's place. That's pretty, pretty nuts. Did you get busted? No. What's funny is I would also smoke cigarettes in the hallway. I just wanted to get kicked out so bad, and they weren't <laughs> kicking me out. So. Do you still smoke cigarettes? I do not. I hate cigarettes. Good for you. Question number four of the high five with Jessica Kent. What is your go-to munchie after you get high? Bro, it's cereal. <laughs> like, I love cereal. Any kind of cereal. Tricks, Cocoa Pebbles, Reese Puffs. Yes. It just slaps. You just hit all nice. my little sweet spots. I'm like, woo. <laughs> They're so good. Love it. Love Question it. number five. If you could smoke with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, Kurt Cobain. Wow. Why? I'm a huge Nirvana fan. I like Incesticide was the best album ever and just love him. So if I could just spend a day with him and smoke weed with him, that'd be like a dream come true. Yeah, man. He was, he was, Nirvana was, that was the hottest shit ever when it hit, man. I mean, I, 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 yeah, used... I smoke with like David Grohl too. We can, I can settle for David Grohl. <laughs> right. So, so tell us, you know, tell us about your YouTube channel and what you're doing on, on the YouTube channel. Sure. So I talk about all kinds of shit on YouTube, my prison experience. I have a prison cooking show on there, which is just as gross as it sounds. You know, don't look at how it looks. It tastes fire, though, I swear. Um, I talk about my addiction, my past. I interview a lot of people that have gone through the same stuff that I've been through. And I'm also really big on TikTok right now, which is total accident. Um, but yeah, it's just my life, my life story and my past. And what's your favorite spread? It's nachos all day long. <laughs> Mixed with? I mean, I don't really put like noodles in my nachos. A lot of people do that, but I will eat a spread. Like they call it a log. I'll eat that too. Like nachos and a log are the best things ever, especially if you're a little stoned. You know? Break it down for the listeners because not everybody knows what a spread is. <laughs> sure. Okay. So a spread is noodles and chips and sausage and pickles and cheese all mushed up together. And it sounds disgusting, but it's really, really good. And you have to cook it in a bag or in a bowl with water. So people get tripped out because you're just putting water and a bunch of stuff together. And it's like, how is this going to be good? And it comes out and it's just really good. Just it looks like a log. It looks disgusting. You could add a Snickers to it if you want. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and tell us your YouTube channel. It's self-titled. Everything I do is self-titled. Jessica Kent, Jessica Kent Vlogs, the Jessica Kent Podcast, and Jess Kent 12 on TikTok. Fantastic. And how long have you been working on your shows? It's been a little over two years now. Nice. And do you, do you do you often talk about like your addictions as well and everything else and you kind of just mix it all in together? Yeah, I have a lot of different addiction videos. I did a series on, you know, what meth addiction is like, what pill addiction is like, what heroin addiction is like. Um, and I'm really raw and as open as I can possibly be about my addiction, because I think if we're not really transparent when we're sharing about this, then someone's going to miss something that they related to. And that might, you know, push them away or that might not make them feel as though they have someone out there that has been through the same thing. Sure. I'm so proud of you for, again, for getting over your addiction. Congratulations on that. Thank and, you. and, uh, you know, I, I really think that it's important again to, to, have more people step out of the green closet, but not only that uh, from their addictions, because a lot of us will hide from them because of embarrassment or because of, you know, not being good enough or, or feeling that, you know, the people are going to judge you and they do, you know? And so, you know, we, we look at that and I, I'm sitting here listening to you and you have such a beautiful voice for this and you have, you know, you're a good looking woman and for you to be able to step out and tell your story you know, I, I'm sure that it resonates with a whole lot of people. And again, I just, for me, I, I, I'm, I, I thank you for, for sharing it on our show because people need to hear it. You know, people need to hear that there's other people out there that have addictions that, that, that aren't perfect, you know, and, and I think far from perfect. If, if that, you know, if you look at all of us, we all have addictions, you know, and just some of us are hiding it. And I think there's, there's, you know, two types of people that, you know, there's the person that has, you know, we all think we're two, two things. And, and when you realize that you're only one, you will achieve more of your goals. And what I mean by that is the person that's sick only wants to get better, you know, but the rest of us are 
you know, I'm kind of this, I'm kind of that, I want to do this. And we start to, you know, spread ourselves out and we start to spread ourselves thin and we're not really focused on really who we are. And by you coming out and talking about who you are and sharing what you've been through is, is very powerful young lady. So I can, I want to tell you to continue your path and your journey and uh, we'd love to help you any way we can. So when I add, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, I was in the closet for a long time, for over a year, and I was afraid to come out because of the criticism. But once I realized it's not about me, you know, so many people are going to relate to this and they're going to feel valid in their recovery journey. If I'm honest, that changed the game for me. You know, like I was hiding because I was afraid of the criticism, but I've gotten some heat, of course, some people have unsubscribed and talked shit to me. But the amount of people that have said, you helped me feel valid that's life-changing and that was just massive more people will support you than you think and you know i know firsthand i have 400k on youtube and that was really hard it was hard to come out on tiktok i have 700k there so the criticism definitely came in but more people said thank you well you know what it is it's be proud of yourself very very proud of yourself um congratulations on your your child your fiance your life in general and if you don't have a couple haters on social media, you haven't made it. Yeah. So you so you've made it. Yes. Yes. You can ignore those haters. I I had to get used to that real quick. So the minute you have those, you know you, you're you're up there. What's it's, funny is the haters pay our bills. They're, they're clicking on all of those ads and my content. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're like, thank you, cha-ching, thank you, cha-ching. <laughs> Bring it. So right, is there anything else that you want to share with us before we get on out of here? No, just thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to actually, you know, collabing with you guys in person if I can get out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jessica. That was Jessica Kent. Make sure you check her out everywhere on social media. It's Cannabis Talk 101. And remember this. If no one else loves you, we do. We do. Thank you for listening to Cannabis Talk 101 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.